Ghosts in Court by S. Baring Gould. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Ghosts in Court by S. Baring Gould. The following very curious story is from the Irbigya saga, one of the oldest and noblest of the Icelandic histories. As it results in an action unique in its way, a lawsuit brought against a party of ghosts who haunted a house, it well merits attention from all lovers of curiosities. In the summer of 1000, the year in which Christianity was established in Iceland, a vessel came off the coast near Snefelnes, full of Irish and natives of the Hebrides, with a few Norsemen among them. The ship came from Dublin and lay alongside of Riff, waiting a breeze which might waft her into the firth to Dogvertharnas. Some people went off in boats from the nest to trade with the vessel. They found on board a Hebridean woman called Thorgunna, who, hinted the sailors, had treasures of female attire in her possession, the like of which had never been seen in Iceland. Now when Thurida, the housewife at Frode River, heard this, she was all excitement to get a glimpse of these treasures, for she was a dashing, showy sort of a woman. She rode out to the ship, and on meeting Thorgunna, asked her if she had really some first-rate ladies' dresses. Of course she had, was the answer, but she was not going to part with them to anyone. Then might she see them, humbly asked Thurida. Yes, she might see them. So the boxes were opened, and the Iceland lady examined the foreign apparel. It was good, but not so very remarkable as she had anticipated. On the whole, she was a bit disappointed. Still, she would like to purchase, and she made a bid. Thorgunna at once refused to sell. Thorita then invited the Hebridean lady home on a visit, and the stranger, only too glad to leave the vessel, accepted the invitation with alacrity. On the arrival of the lady with her boxes at the farm, she asked to see her bed, and was shown a convenient closet in the lower part of the hall. There she unlocked her largest trunk and drew forth a suit of bedclothes of the most exquisite workmanship, and she spread over the bed English linen sheets and a silken coverlet. From the box she also extracted tapestry hangings and curtains to surround the couch, and the like of all these things had never been seen in the island before. Thurida opened her eyes very wide and asked her guests to share bedclothes with her. "'Not for all the world,' replied the strange lady with sharpness. "'I'm not going to pick it in the rushes for you, ma'am.' An answer which, the saga writer assures us, did not particularly gratify the good woman of the house." Thorgunna was stout and tall, disposed to become fat, with black eyebrows, a head of thick bushy brown hair, and soft eyes. She was not much of a talker, not very merry, and it was her wont to go to church every day before beginning her daily task. Many people took her to be about sixty years old. She worked at the loom every day except in haymaking time, and then she went forth into the fields and stacked the hay she had made. The summer that year was wet, and the hay had not been carried on account of the rain. So at Frode River Farm by autumn, the crop was only half cut, and the rest was still standing. One day appeared bright and cloudless, and the farmer, Thorod, ordered the house to turn out for a general haymaking. The strange lady worked along with the rest, tossing hay till the hour of nonus, when a black cloud crossed the sky from the north, and by the time that prayers had been said, such a darkness had come on that it was almost impossible to see. The haymakers, at Thorod's command, raked their hay together into cocks, but Thorgunna, for no assignable reason, left hers spread. 
It now became so dark that there was no seeing a hand held up before the face, and down came the rain in torrents. It did not last many minutes, and then the sky cleared, and the evening was as bright as had been the morning. It was observed by the haymakers on their return to their work that it had rained blood, for all the grass was stained. They spread it, and it soon dried up, but Thorgunna tried in vain to dry hers. It had been so thoroughly saturated that the sun went down, leaving it dripping blood, and all her clothes were discolored. Thorita asked what could be the meaning of the portent, and Thorgunna answered that it boded ill to the house and its inmates. In the evening, late, the strange woman returned home and went to her closet and stripped the stained clothes off her. She then lay down in her bed and began to sigh. It was soon ascertained that she was ill, and when food was brought her, she would not swallow it. Next morning, the bonder came to her bedside to inquire how she felt, and to learn what turn the sickness was likely to take. The poor lady told him that she feared her end was approaching, and she earnestly besought him to attend to her directions as to the disposal of her property, not changing any particular, as such a change would entail misery on the family. Thorod declared his readiness to carry out her wishes to the minutest detail. This, then, said she, is my last request. I desire my body to be taken to Skalholt if I die of this disease, for I have a presentiment that that place will shortly become the most sacred in the island, and that clerks will be there who will chant over me, and do you reimburse yourself from my chattels for any outlay in carrying this into effect. Let your wife Thurita have my scarlet gown, lest she be put out at the further distribution of my effects which I propose. My gold ring I bequeath to the church, but my bed, with its curtains, tapestry, coverlet, and sheets, I desire to have burned, so that they go into nobody's possession. This I desire, not because I grudge the use of these handsome articles to anybody, but because I foresee that the possession of them would be the cause of innumerable quarrels and heart-burnings. Thorod promised solemnly to fulfill every particular to the letter. The complaint now rapidly gained ground, and before many days Thorgunna was dead. The farmer put her corpse into a coffin, then took all the bed furniture into the open air, and raising a pile of wood, flung the clothes on top of it, and was about to fire the pile, when, with a face pale with dismay, forth rushed Thurita to know what in the name of wonder her husband was about to do with those treasures of needlework, the coverlet, sheets, and curtains of the strange lady's bed. "'Burn them, according to her dying request,' replied Thorod. "'Burn them?' echoed Thurita, casting up her hands and eyes. What nonsense! Thorgunna only desired this to be done because she was full of envy, lest others should enjoy these incomparable treasures. But she threatened all kinds of misfortunes unless I strictly obeyed her injunctions, and I promised to do what she bid, expostulated the worthy man. Oh, that is all fancy, exclaimed the wife. What misfortune can these articles possibly bring upon us? Thorod still stood out, but in his house, as in many another, the grey mare was the better horse, and what with entreaties, embraces, and tears, he was forced to effect a compromise, and relinquish to his wife the hangings and the coverlet, in order that he might secure immunity for burning the pillow and the sheets. Yet neither party was satisfied, says the historian. Next day, preparations were made for flitting the corpse to Skalholt, and trustworthy men were appointed to accompany it. The body was swathed in linen, but not stitched up. It was then put into the coffin and placed on horseback. So they started with it over the moor, and nothing particular happened, and nothing particular happened till they reached Valbjarner Plain, where there are many pools and morasses, 
and the corpse had repeated falls into the mire. Well, after a bit they crossed the North River at Ierford, but the water was very deep, for there had been heavy rains. At nightfall they reached Staffholt and asked the farmer to take them in. He declined peremptorily, probably disliking the notion of housing a corpse, and he shut the door in their faces. They could go no farther that night, as the White River was before them, which was very deep and broad and could only be traversed in safety by day. So they took the coffin into an outhouse, and after some trouble persuaded the farmer to let them sleep in his hall. But he would not give them any food, so they went supperless to bed. Scarcely, however, was all quiet in the house before a strange clatter was heard in the shed serving as a larder. One of the farm servants, thinking that thieves were breaking in, stole to the door, and on looking in beheld a tall, naked woman with thick brown hair busily engaged in preparing food. The poor fellow was so frightened that he fled back to his bed, quaking like an aspen leaf. In another moment the nude figure stalked into the hall, bearing victuals in both hands, and these she placed on the table. By the dim light the bearers recognized Thorgunna, and they understood now that she resented the churlishness of the host, and had left her coffin to provide food for them. The farmer and his wife were now speedily brought to terms, and leaving their beds they displayed the utmost alacrity in supplying the necessities of their guests. A fire was lighted, the wet clothes were taken off the travellers, curd and beer and a stew of Iceland moss were set before them. Hist! A little noise in the outhouse. It is only Thorgunna stepping back into her coffin. Nothing transpired of any moment during the rest of the journey. The bearers had but to narrate the story of the preceding night's events, and they were sure of a ready welcome wherever they halted. At Scalholt all went well. The clerks accepted the gold ring and chanted over the body. They buried her deep and put green turf over her. So their errand accomplished, the servants of Thorod returned home. At Frode River there was a large hall, with a closed bedroom at one end of it. On each side of the hall were closets. In one of these closets dried fish were stacked up, and flour was kept in the other. Every evening, about mealtime, a great fire was lighted in the hall, and men used to sit before it ere they adjourned to supper. The same night that the funeral party returned, the men were sitting chatting round the fire, when suddenly they perceived a phosphorescent half-moon grow into brilliancy on the wall of the apartment, and travel slowly round the hall against the sun. The appearance continued all the while the men sat by the fire, and was visible every evening after. Thorod asked Thorir Stumpleg, his bailiff, what this pretended, and the man replied that it boded death to someone, but to whom he could not say. One day a shepherd came in, gloomy and muttering to himself in a strange manner. When addressed, he answered wildly, and they thought he must have lost his wits. The man remained in this state for some little while. One night he went to bed as usual, but in the morning when the men came to wake him, they found him lying dead in his place. He was buried in the church. A few nights after, strange sounds were heard outside the house, and one night, when Thorir Stumpleg went outside the door, he saw the shepherd stride past him. Thorir attempted to slip indoors again, but the shepherd grasped him, and after a short tussle cast him in so that he fell upon the hall floor, bruised, bruised, and severely injured. He succeeded in crawling to his bed, but he never rose from it again. His body was purple and swollen. After a few days he died, and was buried in the churchyard. Immediately after, his spectre was seen to walk in company with that of the shepherd. A servant of Thorir now sickened, and after three days' illness, died. Within a few days, five more died. 
the fast preceding Christmas approached, though in those days the fashion of fasting was not introduced. In the closet containing dried fish, the stack was so big that the door could not be closed, and when fish were wanted, a ladder was placed against the pile and the top fish were taken away for use. In the evening, as men sat over the fire, the stack of dried fish was suddenly upset, and when people went to examine it, they could discover no cause. Just before Yule also, Thorod, the bonder, went out in a long boat with seven men to Ness after some fish, and they were out all night. The same evening, the fires having been kindled in the hall at Frode River, a seal's head was seen to rise out of the floor of the apartment. A servant girl who first saw it rushed to the door, and catching up a bludgeon which lay beside it, struck at the seal's head. The blow made the head rise higher out of the floor, and it turned its eyes towards the bed curtains of Thorgunna. A house churl now took the stick and beat at the apparition, but he fared no better, for the head rose higher at each stroke till its forefins appeared, and the fellow was so frightened that he fainted away. Then up came Kjartan, the bonder's son, a lad of twelve, and snatching up a large iron mallet for beating the fish, he brought it down with a crash on the seal's head. He struck again and again till he drove it into the floor, much as one might drive a pile. He then beat down the earth over it. It was noticed by all that on every occasion the lad Kiartan was the only one who had any power over the apparitions. Next morning it was ascertained that Thorod and his men had been lost, for the boat was driven ashore near any, but the bodies were never recovered. Thorita and her son Kiartan immediately invited all their kindred and neighbors to a funeral feast. They had brewed for Yule, and now they kept the banquet in commemoration of the dead. When all the company had arrived and had taken their places, the seats of the dead men being, as customary, left vacant, the hall door was darkened, and the guests beheld Thorod and his servants enter, dripping with water. All were gratified, for at that time it was considered a token of favorable acceptance with the goddess Ran if the dead men came to the wake. And, says the saga writer, though we are Christian men and baptized, we have faith in the same token still. The spectres walked through the hall without greeting anyone, and sat down before the fire. The servants fled in all directions, and the dead men sat silently round the flames till the fire died out. Then they left the house as they had entered it. This happened every evening as long as the feast continued, and some deemed that at the conclusion of the festivities the apparition would cease. The wake terminated, and the visitors dispersed. The fire was lighted as usual towards dusk, and in, as before, came Thorod and his retinue, dripping with water. They sat down before the hearth and began to wring out their clothes. Next came in the spectres of Thorir Stumpleg and the six who had died in bed after him and had been buried. They were covered with mold, and they proceeded to shake the mold off their clothes upon Thorod and his men. The inmates of the house deserted the room and remained without light and heat in another apartment. Next day the fire was not lighted in the hall but in the other room, the farm people reckoning upon the ghosts keeping to the hall. But no, in came the spectral train, and upon the living men vacating their seats, the ghosts occupied them, and sat looking grimly into the red fire till it died out, whilst the terrified servants spent the evening in the hall. On the third day, two fires were kindled, one in the hall for the ghosts, and another in the small chamber for the living men, and so it had to be done throughout the whole of Yule. Fresh disturbances now began in the fish closet, and it seemed as though a bull were among the fish tossing them about. This went on night and day. A man set the ladder against the stack and climbed to the top. 
he observed emerging from the pile of stockfish a tail like that of a cow which had been singed but soft and covered with hair like that of a seal the fellow caught the tail and pulled at it calling lustily for help up ran men and women and all dragged at the tail but none of them could pull it out it seemed stiff and dead yet suddenly it was whisked out of their hands and rasped the skin off their palms the stack was now taken down but no traces of the tail could be found only it was discovered that the skin had been peeled off the fish and at the bottom of the stack not a bit of flesh was left upon them thorgrima the widow of thorir stumpleg fell ill shortly after this on the evening of her burial she was seen in company with thorir and his party all those who had seen the tale were now attacked and died men and women in the autumn there had been thirty household servants at frode river of these now eighteen were dead the ghosts had frightened five away and at the beginning of the month of may there remained but seven things had come to such a pass as to render ruin imminent unless some decisive measure were pursued to rid the house of the spectres that haunted it kiartan accordingly determined on consulting snorri the lawman his mother's brother, and one of the shrewdest men Iceland ever produced. Kjartan reached his uncle's house at Helgafell at the same time that a priest arrived from Geyser White, the apostle of Iceland. Snorri advised Kjartan to take the priest with him to Frode River, to burn all the bed furniture of Thorgunna, to hold a court at his door and bring a formal action at law against the specters, and then to get the priest to sprinkle the house with holy water and to shrive the survivors on the farm along with him snorri sent his son thord kausi with six men that he might summons kiartan's father considering that there might be a little delicacy in the son bringing an action against the ghost of his own father so it was settled and kiartan rode home on his way he called at neighbors houses and asked help so that by the time he reached frode river his party was considerably swelled it was candlemas day and they drew up at the farm door just after the fires had been lighted and the ghosts had assumed their customary places kiartan found his mother in bed with all the premonitory symptoms of the same complaint which had carried off so many others in the house the lad passed the spectres and going up to the bed of thorgunna removed the quilt and curtains and every article which had belonged to her then he pushed boldly up to the fire past the ghosts and took a brand from it in a few minutes he had made a pile of brushwood and had thrown the bed furniture on the top the flames roared up around the luckless articles and consumed them a court was next constituted at the door according to proper legal forms and kiartan summoned thorir stumpleg while thord kausi summoned thorod for entering a gentleman's house without permission and bringing mischief and death among his retainers every spectre there present was summoned by name in due and legal form the plaintiffs argued their case and witnesses were called and examined the defendants were asked what exceptions they had to plead and upon their remaining silent sentence was pronounced each case was taken separately and the court sat long the first action disposed of was that against thorir he was ordered to leave the house forthwith upon hearing this decree of the court stumpleg rose from his chair and said i sat whilst sit i might and hobbled out of the hall by the door opposite to that before which the court was held the case of the shepherd was next disposed of on hearing the sentence he rose i go better had i been dismissed before he vanished through the door when thorgrima was ordered to depart she followed the others saying i remained whilst to remain was lawful each who left said a few words which evinced a disinclination to desert the fireside for the grave and sea depths 
The last to go was Thorod, and he said, There is now no peace for us here. We are flitting one by one. After this, Kiartan went in, and the priest took holy water and sprinkled the walls of the house. Then he sang mass and performed many ceremonies. So the specters haunted Frode River no more. Thorita got better rapidly, and the prospects of the farm mended. End of Ghosts in Court by S. Baring Gould Recording by Colleen McMahon